You can go fast alone, but you can go far together. And I'm seeing people put their differences aside because they know this was absolutely evil. This is evil. And the evil that has been going on for so long, people are tired, Ma. Not just African-Americans. People are tired. And enough is enough. I wake up every single day, I am who I say I am. And I get what I get because I live in B-Smoke. Stop being gazelle, you're not average. You're not even good. You were born to be great. What's going on, world? Welcome to another edition of the Secret to Success podcast. I'm your host, CJ, joined as always by the Bayesian sensation, Mr. Carl Wesley Phillips. What's going on, y'all? What it do? I got Dr. King reporting live from the shy in the building. What's up, Ma? Let's go. I also got uh, the, the man of, of many miles, Dr. <laughs> Douglas. He's still walking, walking for a cause. I love it. And uh, to my left over here, uh, we have the the most important member of the podcast, Carlos Quinny the Third. Come on in hey, here, Hey, what up, Trey? Let's go. The world, hey, the world needs this What's one, up, son. It's a lot I of know. pressure riding on this one. <laughs> right, right, we right. We need some laughter. Go for it. Hey guys, welcome to Trace Comedy Corner. Man, what's up? What's, up? what's going on? What does a nosy pepper do? Uh, what does a nosy pepper do? Get jalapeno business. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I oh, love it. Love it. Yeah. Jalapeno business. Jalapeno business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes, sir. Oh, man. What's going on, fellas? Let's get this thing rocking. We're a little late today. I apologize. Technology was acting a little funny over here, but I think we got it. So we'll find out once the audio come up if, this, <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, right. if it really worked. Uh, man, appreciate everybody listening. Um, thank you guys for coming in today uh, as our nation is, uh, you know, going through something right now. Right. And, um, yeah. you know, while early on, I'm not going to lie, like, I, you know, the first few days I was just you know, sad, you know, yeah, hurt, numb, bro. Um, numb, yeah, you know, a lot of feelings running through. And, you know, as the days have gone by, what I realized is it's necessary. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, when when something is not right, when the system is broken, I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's got to be torn down to be built back up. And I, I think that's where we are now. And um, I'm excited to, you know, use our platform here to, to discuss it as uh, men, as black men, as fathers, as husbands, as community leaders, um, as, you know, Christian men, you know, whatever we are, I'm excited, you know, for us to be able to add our thoughts and feelings to it. And what I've asked the guys to do, just so you guys know, and, um, you, you know, I know you guys come here for relief and you come here, man, and hopefully... You know, a lot of times we don't, you know, talk politics or we don't get into the, you know, the, the, the mainstream media and things that are going on. But understand this is not political. This is a humanitarian issue and we're humans. Mm -hmm. Right. This is not, you know, who's uh, running for, you know, Congress in this place. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be active in that, too. But usually we keep this platform for what we do. And that's personal development, motivation. 
We'll use other platforms for other things. Uh, but again, this is a humanitarian issue. And I thought, you know, as I was just getting ready for the podcast, you know, I looked at all of us and our unique life experiences. And I'm excited to bring our conversation to the world, because if you look at me, um, obviously, most of you know, my mom is white. My dad is black. Uh, I'm from the most black, white, diverse city in the world in Lansing, Michigan. And I don't say that to be facetious. It's a fact. You know, I came from a place where racism did not exist for the first 18 years of my life. I'm just being real. Like white people and black people in the city of Lansing, Michigan, we all good. Like we we live together, we work together, we married to each other. Like it is a utopia. And I feel like I can talk about it maybe from my false sense of reality of where I was and then what I was introduced to. And I feel like, you know, Carl, of course, being, um, you know, not native to this land, but coming here, um, and has a, obviously a completely different POV. And then we have Maul, who born, raised, still lives in Chicago uh, as a black man, of course, but also as a 20-year police officer, also as the son of police officers, uh, the brother to police office, law enforcement, obviously is a part of his DNA and a part of his growing up. And then you have E, who's a little bit older than us, who's seen things from an even different perspective. And I'm, I'm going to ask Maul to share some of his perspectives because Maul, honestly, when you talk about your growing up, I think that was one of the most eye-opening things for me, even as you know a, a grown human being, um, thinking about Maul's age, which Maul's not very old, and what he had to experience. And so, um, I, I, you know, obviously, E, you know, going to a historically black college, uh, only one of us to go to a HBCU, uh, it brings a completely different experience. Obviously, um, you know, I'd, I'd love for you to, you know, share that light and kind of what you've been through and, you know, your struggles. And we know he's been on the forefront for years now. Um, I told somebody the other day, I'm like, wow, it's crazy. You know, after the video dropped and hopefully you all got to see the 381 days video. I told somebody, I said, man, like the stuff he's talking about, he talked about 381 days. And man, I've been at this with E for 14 years. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you remember E, but the very first day I met E, my dad told me to go to his office. I went to the office and me and E kicked it for about 30. And I remember E had to go to a meeting and he was like, yo, I'm going to a meeting, but you're trying to hook up later. I got to go to this um, correctional facility for young men. And this was like a maximum security facility for young boys, right. all right. black, of course. Um, and we were there, and I just remember that first day I went there, he was like, yo, go ahead and talk to him for like 20 minutes. And I was scared <laughs> out of my mind, like, yo, what am I going to say for 20 minutes? But that's the very first thing he and I ever did. The very first day, it was a Monday morning. That Monday evening, we were at, you know, um, a, a young men's uh, correctional facility and, you know, doing this work. And so, you know, he's obviously got a much longer history uh, of advocacy, of, of protest, of, you know, fighting against injustice. And so I'm excited to bring those things um, as well. But, you know, before we even start, E, I know you have something you want to get off your chest just about George Floyd. You sent me an image, you sent a, a video, I believe. And so yeah. uh, I'll get out the way and let you discuss that. Yeah, no, no, no. I, you know, I, um, I think it's important, see, because, you know, like you said, I've had the pleasure of watching you know, all networks, you know, and you hear, you know, different people focusing on different things. But I think what's important to focus on as a father, bump, um, all, bump the African-American thing as a yeah. father. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, and I've never shared this 
Um, with, I don't think anybody. I, I, this is something that's very personal to me. It's a prayer that I pray. And believe it or not, it actually came from when Michael Jordan won the title after the passing of his father and just seeing how emotional he was and then seeing Tiger Woods and how emotional he was when his father passed. I promise y'all, the first thing I thought about when I found out that George had a daughter was my prayer every single day of my life until my daughter graduated from college. Like Ma, when she graduated, I wasn't even on no, oh, she got a degree. You know, Jada focused. Like, I already know she, she gonna get hers. But when she finished and we had that ceremony, man, it was like 150 pounds were hmm. taken off of me, guys, because my whole life I prayed, God, don't let me get killed before my babies can walk on their own two feet. You know, Lord, don't let nothing happen to me until Jalen is old enough, you know, not only to graduate from college, but Ma, we've got the trust. So from a financial standpoint, you know, I've been able to get them where they're taken care of financially. Um, I was around Ma to see that they found a purpose in life, you know, um, and now we have a family company uh, that they both work for, you know. So would I like to be there for marriage? Would I like to be there for my grandkids? Absolutely, Ma. But what hurt me is God is the giver and sustainer of life. And how another human being could try to act like a God and take from somebody what they don't even have the ability to produce. It is God that gives life. It is God that breathed his breath into our nostrils and gave us life. No human being has a right. And as I'm watching, you know, um, news and, you know, reading commentary, you know, and some people are like, they, this, this, and they shouldn't and this. I'm saying, bruh, we got to deal with the fact that somebody took another human's life you destroy forever their legacy. You destroy forever. Uh, you know, that, that uh, as, the, as the mother said, he won't be able to see her graduate, won't see her get married, won't see her get her license. You know what I'm saying? Won't, it's so much graduate from college. Like, it's so much that was stripped of that family because somebody could care less about another human's life. And that's what really hit me, Ma. It's like, man, when, when Jada had that ceremony, I was like, God, thank you. I've been praying since uh, I was young. And to see his point, you know, when we wrote that letter, bro, I got signed, like literally woke up. I'm not talking about one uh, garage. It was on multiple garages in our neighborhood. Nigga, nigga, nigga. Go home, nigga. You know, and I just always prayed, Ma, when I would get pulled over, you know, by cops. You know, and I mean specifically uh, white officers. You know, I'm like, God, please let me get home to my babies. You know, please let me be there for them. And so, uh, man, I just was hurt as I look at how God has given me grace 
and allowed me to see my children become adults and look at George, who, man, lost that opportunity, bruh. And, um, you know, she said it earlier, man, when you talk about, man, you just can't get over that, bruh. You know what I'm saying? This ain't no time heals all wounds stuff. You know, you, he, she will never get her daddy back. She will never get her daddy back, ever. That young girl will never get her daddy back. He's not coming back at the hands of another man who, you know, if he goes to jail, he's still blessed, Ma, in that he still got his life. He took a man's life. And more importantly, he took a girl's life. He took her daddy, a brother. They lost a brother. So, man, I'm, I'm telling you, man, it just it makes me get up and just go harder. You know, it makes me hold my children closer. You know, I call both of my children, man, and just let them know I love them. You know, and uh, I just pray, man, that this is the beginning of something new where no matter what your skin color is, that we will all be treated like humans, bro. Yeah. So um, I want to start, uh, and, and again, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let everybody get a chance to kind of go. Um, first interaction I really had where I remember feeling like my stomach hurt, you know, because of <clears throat> ignorance, right? And, it, and you got to understand something. I want to talk to um, especially white people first, right? Uh, and just give you guys a bit of uh, some where, where the anger comes from. Um, and I want you to think about who we are as men. And if you listen to this podcast, you know who we are as husbands, fathers, everything else. And I want you to hear some of the things that we go through. And then I want you to juxtapose that with 17-year-olds um, who don't have nearly the resources um, the financially or spiritually or mentally or all of those things, right? And so my first kind of kind of run up into the world thinking completely different. I was sitting in a class at Michigan State, and there must have been five, six hundred people in the class. I was the only black male, and maybe a couple other black females, and we were talking about African American history and things of that nature. Uh, white gentleman uh, to my left, maybe ten seats away, uh, and you know was around a bunch of his friends, and they were laughing and joking like during the presentation, which was kind of weird. Uh, I didn't, you know, didn't overreact. And he finally raised his hand and he was like, I mean, Jesus Christ, how long are blacks going to complain? Like, wasn't slavery like forever ago? And I remember I was just like, whoa. And it hit me and I was like, yo, like I'm from Lansing. Like nobody talks like this, you know, and I remember feeling something. Right. And so, you know, that was kind of I, I want to say even for me. And I'm blessed because, again, I grew up in a city where it, like we. I, don't, I think because of General Motors, because whites and blacks moved there at the same time, because we had the same jobs, we could afford the same house, kids went to the same school. My high school was literally probably 50-50, white, black. And so there was a false sense of security I had, and I think that was the first moment I said, whoa, the second moment, um, which would be maybe what we consider a microaggression or, you know what I mean, something smaller that you just kind of feel, right? And then um, maybe a, a, a more overt aggression, uh, that same year. Um, Chris, as many of you know, uh, he's a comedian out in Los Angeles now, doing very well for himself. Uh, him and I rode back to Detroit, um, you know, checking on on some young ladies, you know, just making sure everything was straight. <laughs> um, riding back from 
uh, Detroit to Lansing or to Oakham is where our apartment was, um, you know, uh, probably halfway through, maybe Howell area. Yeah, uh, yeah, Howell, yeah. Two state troopers in the middle. Uh, we drove by. They jumped out. Uh, one pulled up behind us. One pulled up on the side of us. And I wouldn't say boxed in because there was none, no car in the front of us, but I was in the right lane. Now, I already know. My dad always tells me, you out past midnight, just throw your cruise on 70, which is the speed limit, and just let it go. Don't be trying to, mm -hmm. you know, do anything crazy. And so going 70 miles an hour, um, man, and, you know, obviously we freaked out. You know, we got the cops behind you. Um, so, E, we rode all the way from Howe uh, to exit 110. What is that, about 30 minutes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he, the officer paced us. Like, when I say paced, you know, on the highway, like, you don't ever ride window to window with somebody. You know what I'm saying? It's like you go either, like, a little bit here, a little bit there, and he paced us, literally put his crews on 70 and paced us the entire time. And there's somebody in the back. And I, so I just, I didn't know what to do, so I just kept on driving until we got to our exit. Now, exit 110, E, you know, if you get off at 110 right there, it's a McDonald's right there. So as soon as we got off at 110, uh, they hit the lights. Uh, Chris and I, I told Chris, hey, get my license and registration ready. I already, you know, I don't want no problems. So we pull over, uh, maybe about 10 minutes after we pull over, they both hop out of the car, uh, weapon, hands on their weapons, very close, as you can see, you know, looking through the mirror. We're both, you know, just scared as all get out. I had my window cracked uh, with my license and registration ready and my other hand in the air, handed them my license and registration, never said a word, went back for about 20 minutes, uh, came back to the window and proceeded to literally like throw my license and registration through uh, the window. It landed on Chris's lap and on the floor. Uh, they got in the cars and they pulled off. Um, frustration from situations like that is kind of what drove me to want to do what we did, you know, in terms of being able to help uh, young, for, in our case, black men first, um, you know, get out of the situations they were in, or people who dealt with stuff like that on a regular basis. Um, and again, there's many ways to combat that, right? You have certain people that go, man, I'm going to work with the police and teach them how to deal. I, I chose to, um, and we chose to go work with our community directly and do what we could do um, from there. Chuck sent me a quote the other day that reminded me why I did that. And it said, asking for justice from those who seek to oppress you is like asking a poisonous snake not to bite. And so hmm. when I heard that hmm. quote, I said, man, I said, that's why we went to our community first because we like we have we can do something about that those officers nine times out of ten i don't care how much sense you try to talk into them they may not understand it and so as I've, I've been watching this unfold over the past few days the thing that you know really i think is is bothering me is you have obviously uh, i'd say you have three groups if you will right you got black folks right and and um that's a group you got white racist, like, I mean, hardcore, you know what I'm saying? MAGA hat, you know, just going, they, they, they out there. But then you have this middle group of uh, white people who I feel, um, they're not racist, right? They're just not sure, right? And, and they're not informed. And here's the crazy thing, right? If you never, like, if you never lived in the jungle, you probably don't need to know a whole lot about how tigers and, and lions move, right? And so is that somebody's fault, right? So 
they they've never taken the chance to educate themselves. So I want to talk to you guys really brief. And I promise you, I know I'm taking up some time, but I want to be clear on my thoughts. You guys remember Carl and E, you were there. I had a guest lecture at Michigan State. Um, I was in the master's program. A good friend of mine, Ryan, was teaching a class. Maybe what, Carl, a thousand students? Mm -hmm. um, these students were going off to be teachers. And I'll never forget, I was, I was going through my, and my, my master's degree, um, I studied African-American males uh, with behavioral issues, right? And so as I'm going through my lecture, I'm bringing up the statistics of kind of what, you know, black men incarceration rates and, you know, all of these things, the recidivism rates and, you know, all of these things. And um, Ian Carl were right there. They can attest to it. There was a young lady in the front row and she said, gosh, this is so sad. You know, these young black men are getting locked up. You know, they're, they're, they're selling drugs. And she said, I just don't understand it. I mean, they know it's wrong. They know they're going to go to jail. They know they're going to get killed. You just put up the statistics. I don't understand why they continue to do it. And so I said to Chelsea, I said, I said, good question. I said, let's talk about all the circumstances that led you to be where you are right now. You're at Michigan State. You're a senior. You're about to graduate. Let's talk about those circumstances in which led you to be right here. I said, who would you accredit that to, you being here today? And she was like, well, my grades. And I said, no, 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 go deeper than your grades. Like, who, you know, she said, well, my family, one. Um, I said, good. I said, who else? She said, my church family, you know, they blessed me. Even when I went to college, they gave me like a big, you know, sum of money that was, you know, helped me to get here and do my thing. I said, okay, cool, what about growing up? She said, for sure. Uh, college was always stressed in my community. That was a big deal. Uh, my mother and father both went to Michigan State, so I'm here. Um, and she just went through a litany of things. And at the end of it, Carl, you remember, I said, okay, Chelsea. I said, why didn't you sell crack cocaine? <laughs> and the whole class kind of broke out into like a little uncomfortable laugh, right? And she said, well, because it's illegal. And I said, no, that's not why you didn't sell it. I said, break it down to the root. And she said, well, I don't, I've never seen it. I wouldn't know where to get it from. I don't know who to sell it to. I don't know who to. I said, so when we look at these young black men and we say, go to college. They've never, uh, many of them, listen to what I'm telling you. I've, I've been in the prison systems. They told us, E. Oh. They've never seen anybody who went to college. They've never seen an educated black man. Guess what they have seen? They have seen their fathers be locked up. Their uncles get locked up. Their cousins get locked up. And what they become ultimately, many of them, is a product of their environment. They end up going to jail. They end up selling drugs. We end up in a very bad situation. But Tiffany said something to me deep the other day. And she said, we have a tendency as society to judge the fruit and not the root. Right. Mm. Right. We have, to drugs. we have to understand they're not there by a choice they made. You see, right. the kid who's selling drugs oh. and goes to jail and Chelsea are actually doing the exact same thing. They're both, in this case, following the path that had been predestined for them. So Chelsea is just following in a footstep while this young black male it's just following in a footstep. Do you think if you put that young black male in my house, Trey, and he's raised by his father with a, I'm almost swore, with a pool in the back 
a movie theater in the basement, a, a, an incredible foundation, a Christian foundation, a mother who wakes up and prays with him every day, a mother who spent every single hour this summer making sure that he did not lose an ounce of education during the COVID. Do you think if you put him in this situation, he would sell crack? The answer is no, of course not. The problem is we have white people who say, but so-and-so made it out. But so-and-so made it out. And let me tell you who so-and-so is. So-and-so is my wife who grew up in Detroit on the east side uh, where crime and violence and everything else was at an all-time high. My wife watched her entire uh, family next door to her be murdered in cold blood out her window as a little girl. She watched her mother get addicted to crack cocaine and be and every one of her siblings be taken from the system and given she was given to her father and all the rest of her six brothers and sisters went to foster care. Luckily, my mother-in-law is healthy now, and I praise God for that. Many of you who have been listening to the podcast for years know that my father-in-law was actually shot in the head on the east side of Detroit. Look him up, James Haller. You can read the story online to this day. Was shot in the head and killed. That's where my wife comes from. I want you to hear me. My wife, who went on to become a valedictorian, who went on to become a Bill Gates Millennium Scholar. Shout out to Steve Smith, who also gave her a full-ride scholarship to Michigan State. I watched this girl get one B, and I watched her cry. <laughs> she was so committed to excellence, and she made it out. And guess what? Listen to me. If she was the rule and not the exception, we wouldn't be having this conversation. No conversation. Yep. So what is Candace? As people like to say, she's the rose that grew from the concrete. There's a reason that that's an expression, because most roses don't grow in the concrete. Most roses grow in a flower bed and are, are, are cultivated with sun and rain and light and all of those things. And for the majority of people who come from that, they're able to be successful. Now, if you don't agree with that and you think that every single person on this planet has the exact same chance to succeed as anybody else, like it does not matter. So Trey and the kid who grow, who's growing up with a mother on crack like Candace and who, who's been through the foster system and had the world just against them altogether. If you believe that those two people have the exact same opportunity and there's absolutely no difference, then you must look at the fact that blacks um, not having as much wealth, blacks not uh, 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 having the same access to things, the same education levels. I need you to be able to go as far as to say blacks are inferior intellectually. I need you to be able to go as far as to say blacks are um, born with a gene, a predisposition to selling crack cocaine. Hmm. You won't go that far because you understand that there's a systemic issue. Again, the root, not the fruit. We are here because of racism. That's how we got here. Make no mistake about it. We're here because individuals who have been left behind, forgotten about, and told, hey, Rose, grow from, the, grow from the concrete. Many of them won't do it. So you look at the rioters, you look at the looters, and you go, 
Man, they're animals. They're out of control. I don't believe it. They're setting stuff on fire. They're, they're, they're taking stuff out of the Nike store. What does that help? If you're them, what does it hurt? This ain't for them anyways. It never has been. Am I condoning looting? No. But I understand it. I do understand it. If you're 17 in this world and nobody's ever looked out for you and you see the American dream and also know that systematically everything in the world has been done to make sure you don't reach it. If it brings me some temporary satisfaction and releases some anger to throw a bottle and take some Nikes. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Do you think Maul, myself, Carl and E were in the Nike store pulling stuff out of there? No, that's the fruit of where we put these kids and give them, them no outlet and give them, them no access to education. E and I used to go to the prison. I promise you, I would be in tears. They would sit there as grown men and say, I've never actually talked to one person who went to college. Who went to college. Like, bro, can y'all just stay here the rest of the day? Like, I've never in my life, but I did see my uncles committing crime. I did see my cousins committing crime. Matter of fact, they locked up in here with me. This is a systemic issue. So for those of you out there who don't understand why this is happening, I'm trying to shed a light. I'm trying to allow you to see that these men right here that you see right here, as successful, as um, funny, as charismatic, whatever you think about us, we still have to deal. I still have to wonder when I'm outside in my majority white neighborhood and somebody rides by and I got my kids out there and we're playing with the puppy and somebody rides by and has their head down the entire time and never looks to wave. I still have to wonder, man, is that while I'm doing like this and you completely ignore me, is it because I'm black? And maybe you say, maybe not. My neighbors don't wave. Cool, but I'm telling you what we have to deal with on a regular basis. Again, back to the micro. E just told you. E, as a number one motivational speaker in the world, as probably one of the most prominent black figures on the planet right now, still has to deal with racism on a daily basis. So, walking through his neighborhood. That wasn't 10 years ago. That wasn't 20 years ago. Carl and E live right by each other. Nigger, spray painted on the, on the garages. How about the fact that, yes, I don't know, Carl, if you saw, I sent the article to E. Yesterday, the superintendent of the Grand Ledge School District, where Carl, where, uh, Carl lives, where E's kids went, the superintendent of the district, Maul, I don't even know if you noticed, put on his Facebook, it's very sad what happened to George Floyd, but I think we can all agree, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's cl close, I think we could all agree that if he would have just obeyed the laws in the first place, this never would have happened. This all started because he tried to use a counterfeit $20 bill and he resisted arrest. I'm not saying that it was right for them to kill him, but if you don't break the law, the cops aren't called and none of this happens in the first place. Wow. The same school district where my kids was called niggas, same school district where a teacher asked my daughter, 
if that was her real hair or weave, right? Same school system so, where yep. they call Barack Obama a monkey, right? Same school district that has my kids and other kids there with no African-American teachers, right? No African-American teachers, no African-American presence. It was one male, but I'm not 100% sure that he actually understood the plight of black children and was there to protect black children. I know he had a job. I know he looked like me, but I don't know that he represented my kids because I don't ever remember them saying that he came to their protection. But I do know there were a couple teachers there, you know, who understood, white male teachers who understood and looked out. But for the most part, to C's point, Ma, I have it in writing. How many times I had to go up there for my son, how many times I had to go up there for my daughter, and I am, again, the number one motivational speaker in the world, but yet my kids have to deal with yeah. uh, this type of your, racism. Your kids so have to up. deal with it. You have to deal with it. Now, and, and the reason, and listen, guys, I promise you, you've never heard us come on here and complain about being black. This is not that. Never. What we're trying to explain to you is that because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And it exists, and I'm telling you, it exists with us. We've built multi-million dollar companies, several of them. No, none, nobody here has ever even been locked up for real. He may be stealing candy when he was five. <laughs> right. I've never even had handcuffs on my hands a day in my life. No. Nope. And understand that we still have to deal with it. Let me give you another example. And, and maybe we could get Josh on here, Carl, if you send him the link at some point. I'll, I'll text him and tell him to jump on. Here, okay. here's, a, here's a beautiful example. And by beautiful, I mean tragic. And this is the stuff, again, when you say white privilege doesn't exist, this is the stuff you don't, you, I, 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 I'm not even mad at you because, again, you, how could you, unless you actually took the time to empathize and put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you would never know. So guess what? You would never know in this situation. We're out in L.A.? We're in L.A.? Yeah, we was in L.A. Okay, uh, we're in L.A. Maybe not L.A., but we were in California, like okay. Southern Cal. Uh, mind you. Uh, Democratic yeah. state, too, right? Liberal. <laughs> We're in California. All right, cool. Didi, uh, uh, you had to help me. Didi, Candace, me. Uh, Carl, were you there? Yep. Carl's there. Is Tamisha there? Let's just I say. Think so. There's, I think so. There is, <laughs> let's say there is nine black people and our crew, our family now, and there's one white person, Josh, with yep. us. Didi goes in, let's say with Candace, and they say, yep, we need a table for 10 to a restaurant. Josh, myself, Carl, e, we all stand outside of the hookup. Didi and Candace come back out. They say, um, sorry, there's no reservations. They're not right. able to take us. Right. To which, listen, to which me, Carl, E, whoever else was with us, Ma, we was just like, hey, all right, cool. Let's find another spot. Let's find somewhere else. I look at Josh, and Josh is looking like a little funny. Josh is going, I don't know if he's like counting the cars that are in the like space. Like, whoa, this don't look. So Josh goes and looks through the door, opens the door and looks through the restaurant and sees that it's not like super packed. So he goes, he comes back out and talks to Candace and Diddy. He said, he said, wait, they told you what? So they couldn't get us a table. Josh said, okay, hang on a second. Josh walks in and says, I need a table for 10. They literally said, right this way. Wow. 
immediate. This is wow. no less than one minute after Candace and Didi just went in there. Josh came back outside, and I, when I say he had a look of fury on his face, he, I mean furious. And then I don't even know what happened, and I don't even know if it was right or wrong, but we ended up going back into the restaurant, and Josh was talking to the owner at a, on a regular, like just going in. I don't know what, what happened, but they comped us a bunch of stuff and said that whatever. He talked to the very same person that he, like, there's no excuse. But listen, if you're white, you just go in and ask for a table of 10. Right. You never have to see that other side. Josh said, my God, I saw that other side and it blew me away. Josh, myself and Maul walking out of uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse in St. Louis. In St. Louis. Wow. St. Louis, Louis, Missouri. What was that last year? Last year? That was uh, 2018, bro. That's 2018. 2018. Walking out of a restaurant, feeling good. I mean, Wolfpack just had a great steak dinner. Walking we out the had restaurant. Just conference, too. We just had, had a conference. conference feeling celebrated. good about ourselves. Hmm. Truck riding past. And nigger. Nigger, 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 you niggers effing niggers. They actually said, niggers go home. Niggers go and home. We were walking. Niggers go home. And we were walking with... I think it was maybe me and you might have been the only two blacks. It was nothing. We was with a few white guys. I think we were the only two blacks that was probably in the, and in the, right there. And, and, and everybody's just, jaw just dropped. Again, listen to what I'm telling you. You're not talking about 15-year-olds out stealing bikes. Right. <laughs> That's not what right. we're talking about. We're talking about us. And so do you know how bad it hurts when we get not the crazy racists, but just the moderate white folks who say, well, racism doesn't exist. Listen to me. Saying racism doesn't exist because you can't see it is like saying cancer doesn't exist because you're healthy. Because you don't have it, yeah. How could you experience it if you never have to experience it? And so what somebody said the other day is police brutality is not getting worse. Racism is not getting worse. It's being filmed now. So for everybody who mm. thought at one point, maybe blacks are over-exaggerating. And that's why I wanted you to hear it from us. Because you don't need to hear it from somebody looting because you can't hear them because they're taking stuff out of a store. I understand that. And shame on every single person who tweeted, who posted about the looters, but said nothing about George Floyd. You're part of the problem. Or, or, or you can't hear from Colin Kaepernick because, <sighs> he, he, you know, because... And that's peaceful protest. Enough said. But you if can't hear says. from him if you because don't, he's if, disrespecting the flag. If you don't want oppressed people to, to seek justice, there's no form of protest that works for you right, anyway. That you can right. do that you, that you like. Right. But, that's acceptable. But I wanted you to hear this from us because I want you to feel what it feels to be us. And so if you can begin to, again, speak out, understand... Why some of these things hurt? I was talking to Tiffany. We were talking about all lives matter. Just for a minute. And Tiffany said, it's like having a house that's on fire and a house that's perfectly fine. And mm. the fire department shows up to put out the house that's on fire. And somebody goes, wait, wait, wait. All houses matter. Spray mm. that house too. Mm. And so here's the, 
I, I guess what I'm trying to say is when I tell you it hurts, it hurt again. And this is me speaking from my lens. And listen, I'm not I'm not the most eloquent person in the world. I'm giving you my story. I'm giving you my feelings as a black man, because I don't I, I don't. <laughs> and there's nothing <laughs> that this world says about me being white other than Helene in the other room, uh, <laughs> you know, being there. I'm a black man. There's no question about it. Um, and I'm pr- and proud as ever to be. Um, but I hope that some of the things that I've been able to say, again, we're not going to get the extreme racist. Doc. They're not going to stop. That's, that's what it is. But for those of you who are not racist, but just not sure, I'm asking you to walk with us. Now that you see it, now that, now that you don't have the excuse of, oh, maybe Mike Brown was being violent. Maybe he... Maybe he was being aggressive, and if he would have just complied, we saw Ahmaud Arbery stalked down, shot, and killed, and there was going to be no charges pressed. They looked at that tape and said, you're free to go. We watched my man. I don't care. Listen, I don't care what my man did, George Floyd. A $20 bill. By the way, there's no footage of him resisting at all. But let's just say he swung on a cop and hit him in the face, which he didn't. We have no proof of any of that. That's not what I'm saying. The man was face down and unconscious for minutes while his neck still remained. And if that didn't, listen, listen, if that as a human being, if that did not break your ever-loving soul, and I think every person in the world struggled with whether to watch it, whether my mom and Candace said I cannot, I had to. That is not a, that, that's, that's not a political issue. That's not Democrat. That's not Republican. That is a humanitarian issue. He took a man's life. And I saw, if I can just be frank, I saw more people, more white people, outraged by Cecil the Lion getting killed by that dentist in Minneapolis or Minnesota, wherever he was. I saw rallies. I saw posts. I saw people like go to his crib. And a human being is choked out in front of your face. And your first post was, what does looting solve? Help me. I had to have a talk, and I, I promise you I'm done. This is, I'm giving the floor to somebody else. I had to have a talk with Trey. Um, he walked in, and I was watching a little CNN, and he saw the cars burning. And I'm, Trey has a very sensitive spirit. But I also don't want to be naive and understanding that I'm raising a black boy, too. And again, um, he's got a a broad world experience. But again, how can you not be naive at that age? And he saw me and I I had tears in my eyes. I was upset. I was frustrated. And Trey senses that kind of stuff. He's that kind of kid where he gets it. And he came up. He said, Daddy was wrong. And I said, I'm just frustrated right now. He said, frustrated with what? I said, frustrated with the country. And he said, what's the problem? And I said, well, um, certain people don't like people because of the way they look. And he looked at me with the most innocent like smirk Mm. and said, well, I'm glad they don't see me. Mm. And I was like, wow, like at some point, my own son who can do everything right. Look at look at Jamal. Look at look at Jamal. Jamal went to school. He got good grades. He went to college. He played football. He's uh, 
married his high school sweetheart. They've been married forever. He's never committed adultery. He's never been to jail. He served as a police officer at the highest level. Matter of fact, Maul told me the other day in his entire police career, he never had one complaint of police brutality. He's made himself into a self-made millionaire. He's taught others how to do it. He's given back to charity. He's a Christian. He has done every single thing this country could ever ask of a citizen, and he still has to deal with racism. Until this changes, you're going to continue to see these things happen. That's why I was so proud of E when he stood up there in one of the most emotional moments of his life. Mm-hmm. And delivered the message of 381 days in reference to the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. Delivered one of the most amazing speeches of our time, calling for commitment on a whole nother level to understand that we can't get upset for a day. We can't get upset for a week. We have to commit to doing something from here until this ugly system of oppression has been eradicated forever. It's going to happen again if we continue to do nothing. It's going to happen again if we have a president in office who says, if they're looting, shoot. It's going to happen again if you continue to say, racism? What? Right? Where? I I looked out my I don't see any racism. Of course you don't. Until we start to deal with that. And again, I'm not tripping on Bubba out there who... You couldn't tell him nothing. Blacks are evil. They inherently are the worst people. I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to those of you who know better. And just because you don't know and you're ignorant to it, doesn't it give you an excuse to remain ignorant? Shout out to, I want to give a big shout out. And I'm, dang, I want to say his name, but I don't want to say his name. One of my good young white friends in his 20s who called me yesterday and said, CJ, I, I, I love you. I don't know what to say. I'm saddened. But I just don't know what to do. He was like, do I post? It seems like if I post something, it's the wrong thing. If I say I understand what you're going through, are people going to think that I'm saying I can understand what black? Because I don't. It's a very confusing time right now. But what I can say is, you know right from wrong. You know injustice when you see it. So if you see it, say something. Shout out to my next door neighbor, Gary. My dad told me this story yesterday, Carl. My next door neighbor at home, back back at home in Michigan, shout out to Gary, white gentleman, who I've known my entire life. We lived in that house. My parents still live in that house. They were there before we were, 30-some, 40 years. He told my dad yesterday that he was showing a house to a white gentleman, white, right? So maybe he felt safe. And as he was getting his paperwork ready and everything to help him find a house, he's a real estate agent, he said, the gentleman had one request. He said, try not to put me where any black people are. Now, he was showing a house outside of Lansing, of course, because that don't, you can't do that in Lansing, Eaton Rapids or wherever it was. But he said, try to find me a house where black people are not there. And to which Gary, to his credit, said, hey, do me a favor. Lose my number. Don't ever call me, you racist son of a B. To, to Gary's credit, call it out. If you see it, if you hear it, call it out. If you see somebody get murdered in the streets, call it out. It's too quiet. It is too quiet. 
And so that's why he was able to deliver that message. He was able to deliver a message of hope, commitment, action, passive. And so, E, I'll let you take it from there, but I, I, I had that on I'm, my I'll heart. Be interested. Yeah, 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 I'm sorry. I'll be interested in Maul, and I'm going to come after you, Maul. I want to share something. I want to, people have been asking me for direction, Maul, so I got something I want to give them. But as an officer, I, I know you see what's going on, and it's crazy. You got, you know, us against them, you know, some cops in some states are kneeling, marching with them. You know, as a cop, your whole life, your family, speak to the people, Maul. Give give our young people a sense of clarity. Yeah, man. Well, man, this is a this is a uh, man. It's a great topic, a great conversation. Um, man, I it, it was 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 crazy. E is that as an officer, we took an oath to serve and protect. That serve and protect didn't have a color to it. That serve and protect didn't have an age. It didn't have a sex. It was to serve and protect. When they had George Floyd on the ground, bro, those officers that was there were supposed to serve and protect that man. It's not your job to judge anybody. You're not a judge. You are an officer. Your job is to be partial to the law. You're supposed to you're supposed to, to take that man and you're supposed to protect him, even against other officers doing wrong. That's the thing, bro, that, 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 made, that pissed me off the most about this whole situation was that it was other officers on the scene that did not serve and protect that man. Bro, nobody deserves a death sentence for $20. Bro, 20, and it wasn't even about the $20. It wasn't about that. It was about this man that they felt was less than. It was about the systems that's been in place in the years and years of seeing people just getting done wrong and being okay with it. Nobody's eyes are desensitized to it. You know, it was more people that came out and complained about, about, about the dogs that Michael Vick and them killed. They was right. in shock. Right. Then they right. were about seeing a black man on the ground, man, with a knee to his neck. The man had a, uh, his hand in his pocket. Bruh, I couldn't have been on that scene. I promise you. Because if I would have been on that scene, I would have did exactly the oath. I would have did exactly what they were paying me to do. And I would have served and I would have protected that man on the ground. And I think any human being with the right spirit would have done that same thing. And I think that's what the problem is. A lot of police officers, and not just police officers, a lot of people need to stop looking at people as criminals. You need to stop looking at people as, as, as less than, or as, oh, this person is black, or this person came from this community. And start looking at it like, man, this person is somebody's father, man. You know, this, this, this man that's on his ground is somebody's husband, somebody's child. Bro, this is not, uh, it's not a game, bro. This is somebody's life. You can't, this man can't never come back, bro. No matter what we do, he can never come, he can never come, never come back, man. You can never come back from this. And so that's what, what really pisses me off the most, man. And racism is still alive. The thing though, that my parents did as growing up as cops and I never understood it. And, and, and I was, I ain't gonna lie. I was pissed off at my parents for a long time. I couldn't understand why. I lived in an all-black Carl, black turn community. your camera on, Carl. They need to see it. Don't hide it, bro. Don't hide it. For real, don't hide it. It hurts, bro. It's ain't I lived fake. In a, I lived in an all-black community, bro. 
and 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 all black community, you know, our reality was nothing but blacks, right? Black mailman, black po- um, um 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 you know, the teachers in the in the neighborhood was black. Everything was black. Black police officers and my parents, man, they sent me and my brother to an all-white school. They bust us. They literally had a bus come pick us up and drive us out. You know, Chicago is one of the most segregated uh, cities in the country still to this day. Martin Luther King said he stood toe-to-toe with the Ku Klux Klan in Mississippi, and he's never seen racism like he saw in Chicago. Never yeah. seen that some- segre- segregation like in Chicago, bro. My parents in 1984 bust us to an all-white school. Un- unbelievable, bro. And just hearing C talk, it brought back memories. They bust us. So every black child, this, this we're talking about in the 80s. We're just not the 60s, in the 80s. They, they, this bus, it took us, it took us about an hour and 30 minutes just to get to school. And I probably could have, we could have probably just drove in, got there maybe 30 minutes. But the reason why it took so long, because he used to pick up every black. The school wanted to integrate. Listen to these words I'm using. They wanted to integrate 1984-85. And they would pick us, all the blacks up. I was in kindergarten. And they would take us, all the blacks, Take us to this school. Bro, when we used to get outside, it would be, I remember white parents with their children because they didn't want integration to take place at this school in 1984 in Chicago. And, and here it is. We would pass maybe 300 schools just to get to that school. And I would be pissed as, as a kindergartner. Didn't understand why we had to come out here and why I was in a class with nobody that looked like me. I didn't understand it as a kindergartner, bro, but I remember when we got off that bus, and this is in 1984, bro, when we got off that bus, I remember, because we got there so early, right, because, you know, we had to get bused there and everything like that, we would go to the playground, and I remember all the blacks on the bus used to all say, y'all, let's stick together, like, let's stick together, like, hey, everybody stick together, we're about to get, this was every day, even the bus driver on the bus who was black used to tell us, y'all stick together. Bro, we got there to that school, and I was the only black in my class. I remember in the playground, every single day, see, they would have us in a playground, and they would do this chant. They would do this chant, bro, and, and you talking about psychological trauma as a kid. Every day, they would do this chant. They would throw me in a circle with um, nothing but white kids surrounding the circle. They would throw me in the middle of the circle and throw another kid about my age in there, another white kid. And they would chant, a fight, a fight, a nigger and a white, a fight, a fight, a nigger and a white. Every single day. Take your time, dog. Take your time. Every day. Every day they would do this. The teachers, who were all white, never did nothing about it. I would have to fight in the morning, and then I would have to go to class, and then still would be required to do what everybody else did. I couldn't understand it at first. I was like, man, why, you know, why am I going to this school? Why am I dealing with this? But what I ended up realizing later on in life was that my parents wanted me to deal with racism and learn how to deal with racism yeah, at an early, early age. No questions asked. They wanted it to be like a second thing. They wanted it to be where, when I was an adult, it wouldn't be anything where it's traumatic. It would be something that I would learn how to overcome. It would be something that I would learn how to, how to, how to be able to deal with. And 
Yeah, this right here is my, yeah, this is my sixth grade class. That's my sixth grade class. You don't see nobody in there that looks like me. There's one girl off to the side and she ended up leaving. Bro, every single day I had to deal with that. And what I had come to realize, E, was that what my parents was doing, they was building muscle memory in me. They wasn't just building muscle memory. They was building endurance in me. They was building endurance. They was building where I wouldn't get caught off my square. So when I went later on to get that job, when I went away to college, and when there's not a lot of people that look like me in college, I would know how to still focus on what it is I need to focus on. When all of a sudden I got that job in corporate America on the police department and there's 15,000 police officers on there and it's only out of 15,000, it's probably only about 2,000 blacks. I would know how to deal with it. It wouldn't be shocking to me. And so the thing that I hated the most when I was growing up as a kid that I hated the most that my parents ever done in my life came to be the thing that I respected the most that they did. They allowed me to take on racism at a young age and know how to deal with it. By the time, and when my kindergarten year, all the way through, it was a fight, a fight, a nigga and a white. And then by my eighth grade, by my eighth grade commencement, I was given a commencement speech. I was the most likely to succeed. I was the most popular. I was the most everything. I was able to take those values. I was able to take that, that, that hatred. And I was able to have people end up either loving me or if they didn't love me, then they had to still deal with me because I was the best at everything that I did. So my parents was able to have me take that kind of mentality. And, and I believe that's something that, that really pushed me in life. But let me tell you something, man. When I got on with the police department, <laughs> it was all over again. It was all over again. My graduating class in the police department, we had about 100 of us. And out of 100 of us, only six of us was black. Bruh, the thing that... <clears throat> my, I remember my, 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 my rookie year. This wasn't even my rookie year. Probably my second year on the job, bruh. I think people thought that once I became a police officer, racism was going to stop. Bruh, I remember riding in a car with Camille. We had just bought a brand new Cadillac Escalade. I remember riding in the car. <laughs> I remember riding in the car with Camille, bro. And I had my police American uniform dream. on. I had my police uniform on. Uh, but I had tinted windows. And I got pulled over by a police officer, by a sergeant. This sergeant pulled me over, and I'm like, okay, cool. Once he see the uniform, I, ain't, I don't even know what I did. And I was like, maybe it's the tinted windows. I don't know. Bruh. Me and Camille was going, I believe, breakfast or lunch. I pulled down the window, and this guy saw me. And he used to work with me. He was a police officer. He was a patrolman. Well, he just got promoted to sergeant. And I, I rolled down the window. And I said, hey, what's up, Sarge? And he looked at me. I'm in full uniform. And he looked at me and was like, license and registration. I'm like, I'm like what's, what's up, Sarge? Like, what, what, what's going on? Like, what did I do? And he's like, I asked the questions here. I got the white shirt on. You got the blue shirt on. <sighs> Bro, Camille was in a passenger seat just... She was in a passenger hmm. seat just pissed. And she was just like, what do we do? Like, what? Like, what? Like, like, what's going on? And I'm sitting here telling him, like, man, I work with you. I work with you. Like, like what, what, what's going on? This man, bruh, was just telling me, man, he even used the words of shut up. Shut up talking to me. 
Bro, I swear. <laughs> I swear, but you know what I had to do? That's when that muscle memory kicked in. That's when that muscle memory kicked in, bro. That's when that endurance kicked in. That's the reason why my parents sent me to that school. Because they knew that I was going to face this stuff later on in life. They knew it. I think that, I'm, and you know, I come to realize, bro, I think my parents actually, my dad was so big on me and my brother becoming police officers just because he wanted to protect us. He, he knew that a black man in Chicago, bro, you are a target. And so I think he wanted us to become police officers just so that we can not only be protected, but deal with this racism, deal with if nobody else in our community is for us, then everybody is against us. So I try to tell people all the time, one of the solutions, man, to, to especially well, what's going on with the police, this disconnect with the police and the community, one of the solutions is we need more, more people in our community to patrol our community. Bruh, in a police academy, when you're in there, they ask you, they make you fill out on the application, what language do you speak? They ask you, so I'm in there, so when we all in there, if you're Hispanic, bruh, and you speak Spanish, you write down on there, I speak Spanish. The reason why they have you write that down is because they say, okay, cool, you speak Spanish, so therefore, when you graduate after yeah, this academy, go. we're going to put you right. in a Spanish-speaking community. Right, right. Because if somebody come to a person that don't speak Spanish, Carl, they're going to, somebody run up to you and it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's dangerous or something's going on and they speak in yeah. Spanish to you, you don't understand the language, then possibly that person can get killed or anything can happen. They ask Asians, what, 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 what language do you speak? And they ask, we speak Mandarin. They ask Russians, you know, people that's, you know, Russian descent, what language do you speak? And then they, they, they write down that they speak, they speak Russian. And so then they say, okay, great. So now when we graduate, they put the people that speak the language of the community, they put them in those communities. But the black community, the black community is the only community where there's no quote unquote language. Hmm. So therefore, they just put anybody in that community. They put everybody in that community. Even if that's a second, third, or fourth language for you, they put you in that community. But see, what I come to realize is, is that we do have a community, we do have a language in our community. Absolutely. We have just because I got my head broke off to the left or the right, don't mean I'm a gangbanger. Just because I talk with my hands don't mean that I'm threatening. But the thing is, is that in the police. They teach you that if a person, they teach you to watch the person's hands. They teach you to watch your hands. Watch that person's hands. And the person move, the movement of their hands makes them threatening. But in our community, we talk with our hands. But see, that's the language that we do. That's the language we speak, bro. So, man, it's, 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 bro, we got a lot of work to do. It's an uphill battle. The, let, me ask you this, let me ask you this more from let's let's go to um, the actual uh, police brutality uh, in our community and things of that nature. Is there anything systemic that you can see from going through that training or, you know, just I mean, you, you did a great job of laying out very eloquently, you know, the disconnect between the officers and the community. And I think there's um, probably there is a uh, inherent risk of that anyway, right? Because police officers are getting called to the worst situations in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. right? And the only time we really see them, Ma, and so, Ma, when you see this police brutality, when you see what happened in Minnesota, when you see footage of, 
I, I mean, I'm sure you've probably seen excessive force. Like, what is there a mentality there? Is there what it what is where is the disconnect in the actual training or the actual enforcement of what laws are? You said something deep. I didn't even think about it. You said police officers are not judges. They're not attorneys. Like they're literally their job is to make the arrest if they deem it necessary. All right, you go to jail. Our hands are clean, right? And so, what what have you seen in your history of law enforcement and the actual serve and protect mission that has gone wrong in terms of especially white officers and black um, citizens? Yeah, brother, disconnect is is it starts in the beginning. Like you always talk about the foundation, it starts in the beginning, meaning that in the police academy, they send. They, they, they send you, so all of the black districts, all of the black communities, all of the black areas are called training districts. Mm. Those are training districts. Wow. Those are where you get, that's where you get the drugs. That's where you get the guns. That's where you learn how to make arrests. That's how, where you get the felons. In the police academy, they send all of the rookies to the training districts, mm. to the black districts. And in and then when you get 20 years on the job, when you got 15 years on the job, they send you to what's called a retirement district, meaning you do nothing. And those are the white communities. So white communities in the police academy are called retirement districts and wow. black communities in the police academy are called training districts. Mm. That's where you get promoted from. Bruh. So let me ask same you this. Same thing in the education environment, Jamal. That's the same thing. If you are a new teacher with no skill set, yeah. you've not put in no time, right. you go to an urban community and you practice on kids. Yep. So when they say, why aren't these kids doing well? Well, you sent them teachers that's straight out of college. You yep. sent them teachers that's been working a year or so. Then you, same thing, Ma, you send them to a district where they don't have an understanding of the culture, the language, the rules. They don't understand. They got so theory. You, so now you then took all the rookies and put all the rookies in a school district, right? None of them been there. None of them taught more than five years. And this is who our babies have to get educated by. And to your point, Ma, when you are a seasoned teacher, where do you go? You go to the suburbs and teach. Go to the suburbs and teach. Right? You go to the suburbs. So when you do get qualified and you do pick up a certain skill set and you are, um, you know, what we call a seasoned educator, now you are in a district where kids who already are privileged. You were kids who already, you, you understand what I'm saying? So, um, so yeah, man, so real, I, I, I real didn't quick, mean to cut you off, but at the same time, I can't, I, I can't go to, I, as a rookie, I can't go into a different community right. and, and, right. and train. I got to go into this, 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 this black community, which is quote unquote the training district, and everybody, remember I told you about everybody speaks the language of, of so, the black community. Yeah, yeah, so everybody yeah. can go in there and train. Maul, I want Absolutely. to stay right there because I think this is uh, uh, so insightful. And hopefully you guys listening are getting a lot of, I'm getting a ton out of this. This is stuff, Maul, that I've never even heard you say. Um, so let's just take, let's try to really go to the mindset. Let's say you have a white officer who either A, does have some racial bias and some, some racism or just... One of those people that we've never talked about, not on the fence, but just like he not, uneducated, don't know one way or another. Right. And then more, they sit you down and I'm sure in the training, they're talking to you about how violent it is, how much these quote unquote people carry guns or 
shoot each other. They're giving you the statistics. They're giving you all of these things, correct? I, I, I just want to see it like, so then when they go out there, are they scared of us? Like, what, what's the mentality then? Yeah, so it's been my experience. Um, even when you're in academy, there's a lot of people that's in there that's not even from the city, right? So you got a lot of the officers that apply for the job are not from Chicago. They wasn't born and raised in the city. These guys are coming from like the far suburbs. They're coming from towns that, that uh, they come from rural towns where there's not even any blacks or very minimal blacks in there. So the same way how I was the only black kid in the school, you know, and that right. the, the only interaction right. that they've ever had coming right. into the police academy. They, they, they never even, the only interaction they've had maybe with blacks is on TV. It's on TV. That's the only interaction. So they have no clue. But now you know already the stigma you hear about Chicago. So these they come in automatically thinking like heightened, thinking like, oh my God, I'm here in Chicago. This is all I hear on the news. You know, when I was out here on the street and I seen a gal here, I'm like, man, that's like my uncle. This is like my brother. This could be my cousin. This could be anybody. But there's 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 a huge disconnect. All you think is that this person is threatening. Even when we're in a police academy, the targets that we shoot are black. That's a black target. Everything is, is, is almost like geared towards almost like the black male. And so it's just coming into the police academy. It's just it, it, the mindset, you know, the mentality and the mindset, bro. These are all people. They've never had any interaction with blacks. And all they know about is they're teaching the gangs. They teach you about the gangster disciples. They teach you about the vice lords. They teach you about all of these gangs. And so you automatically think, and then they show pictures of these gangbangers. And then you automatically think every black person is a gangbanger. You don't see the, the college educated kids that go into Spelman and, 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 and different college, Howard and Michigan. You don't see this. All you see is just these, what they call thugs. And so they, they automatically scared. They come out scared. When I say scared, they scared, bro. And so, and it's crazy um, to I see how you, 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 I'm sorry, Ma, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's crazy how different you saw the situation even when you got right. shot at. Um, you know, you talked about seeing some young men out on the corner and they were out yeah. past curfew. And explain that situation and how you would dealt with that situation and how somebody else would have dealt with the situation. Yeah, so I just, so, you know, everybody heard about it. Um, you know, I seen some kids, about five or six kids outside. We got to call the curfew. And I just went to go talk to the kids, you know, just to go take them home. You know, just get them off the streets. You know, what normally, man, probably you guys see five or six kids outside. They about to bring their guns out. They about to be locked and loaded. You know, it's, it's no telling what they're about to do. Right. But, uh, you know, it's just all about, man, it's not enough of us, you know, and, and, and speaking to these young males, speaking to these kids that's out here on the street. I used to give them uplift. You know, I used to talk to them and just let them know, even if I saw drug dealers out there on the block selling drugs in the community, I would sit back and I would go up to them and tell them in full uniform. I would say, hey, hey, which one of y'all are like the top drug leader? Who, who, who out here? I said, I know y'all doing it. I'm not on that right now. I'm not out here. I ain't about to shake you down. I ain't on that right now. I just want to show you another way. Because you can't tell somebody, man, take food out their hand, their mouth, and then tell them, oh, you're just going to starve without giving them another option right, of another right. way to eat. And so I used to tell them, man, you see this building right here? And they'll be like, yeah. I'll be like, bro, I see you on the corner over there. You down the street there selling drugs all day long. You got to worry about the the police getting you. You got to worry about your own guys getting you. You got to worry about rival gangs getting you. I said, you got to worry about the hypes getting you. I said, bro, that's no way to live. And I said, at the end of the day, for what? So you could buy you some Jordans? 
I said, bro, you see this bill in here? I just bought this property. I just bought this property. How much money are you actually making out here doing this? Putting your life on the line. How much money are you actually making? I was like, bro, I'm about to buy this piece of property. I'm about to fix this building up, and I'm going to rent this building out, and I'm going to make $3,000 every single month in my pocket off this building. Or I fix it up and sell it to some family or whatever and make $100,000 on this property that's right here. And I'm only going to come to this property maybe, maybe three or four times. While you out here every day and you got to worry about, man, your life and things like that, bro, I, I try to give them solutions, give them another way. I try to let them see another way. That's what policing really is. You know, because the thing about it, and I keep telling people, man, and this is so important, that I can't stand how it's, it's the police is making it us against them or how the community is making it us against the police. Bro, it's no such thing as us against them. It's one. The police department ain't going. These police officers not going to some special grocery store for police officers only. They're not going to communities that's police officer communities only. They're not going to police officer churches only. They're going to the same churches. They're in the same communities. And in the same way, man, the police need to stop looking at people in the community like, oh, it's us against them. It's blue against whatever. No, these are the people that pay your salary. These are the people that you swore. You swore to protect and serve. What the, it say serve and protect on the, on, the, on the side of the squad car. That serve and protect wasn't meant for you to serve and protect other police officers. It was meant for you to serve and protect the people on the, in the community. The people that you serve, the people that hired you. That's who you're supposed to be serving and protecting, man. So we need to stop with this disconnect of us against them, them against us. Once everybody needs to see that we all in this together, you know, white, black, white can't, you can't, a white person can't thrive in this country without black people thriving. You think you're thriving, but eventually if you build your house on mud, it's going to crumble. You're not thriving into everybody. We all coexisting, man. We all got to live together. But the thing about it is, like you said earlier, see, about, about I don't condone any violence, man. My city is hurting right now, bro. I'm seeing stuff, man, that I ain't never seen a day in my life. I'm telling you, bro, my city is I, overnight, literally overnight, overnight, you're seeing like almost 50% of stuff boarded up. Overnight, bro. I got to the point where I called C and I was like in a state of shock. I was literally in a state of shock of how everything in this city was 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 perfect, and, and now riding through the black community, the white community, just riding through the community at all, just it, it's literally everything, bro. I couldn't even go grocery shopping the other day. Bruh, it's, 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 but you know, I was just telling C, I was like, bruh, I'm, I'm cut from a different cloth. You know, the world don't need me to be out here riding. The world don't need me to be out here complaining. The world needs me to rebuild. My parents put me in a position, man, a long time ago since kindergarten to prepare myself for this. My endurance is too strong right now. My muscle memory is too great. The reason why God got me in real estate wasn't so that I could sit up here, man, and, and make millions of dollars. It was so that I could show the people how to rebuild. It was so that I could show the people, man, how to start rebuilding and how to rebuild on a great foundation, bro. The people need us right now. They need us right now, man. 
So it's 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 and I'm telling y'all can see me. I'm broken. I told I text them. I'm broken this whole podcast. Y'all. They need to real. see it though, Carl. Don't turn the camera up, dog. They need to see it. They, this is real, bro. Like I said, this is real. Like I again, these are raw emotions. We didn't rehearse this. We didn't have pre-production. This is what you see is raw emotion, Carl. And they need to see it. They need to see the hurt, bro. I need somebody to help me understand how to raise my son. I'm gonna be real. I look outside this week. It's a, my son is the only black male in this community. And and see, you said it. Like I'm not. I don't. I don't have no bad experiences with no neighbors. As a matter of fact, we got great relationships. But I look outside. And I'm seeing four other little kids. They're playing Nerf guns. They're playing with guns. Just little Nerf guns having fun. But it's four of them against my son. I'm not saying nobody teaching them. Nobody's doing nothing wrong. I, like I, My neighbors are good. Like I ain't tripping on that. But I'm just saying, how do I teach my son how to survive in this? I went outside and Tamisha called me and she said, yo, like, I'm not trying to be funny. Of course, we, we're more alert to stuff now. Like, like, don't be dumb. We're more alert to stuff. I'm looking outside and I'm seeing he's the only one over there hiding and it's four other kids running around. And I'm like, Jordan, come here. Like, what are y'all playing? He's like, we just playing. I was like, and I'm, I'm again, how do I teach it? Because I'm not, again, like, son, you got to be aware and alert. I don't think anybody's intentionally bad, but see, when you talk about getting to the root of the problem, we got to understand that different doesn't mean different. Like, they're kids, they're playing, they're, nothing is meant by it, but what is my son taking away from this? Like, now, Maul, to your experience, your experience just helped me some. Hopefully, it builds that in him, right? But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? So what, what conversation do I have with him now so I'm like, I just said like, look, here's, here's, let me just be real with you. If you ever playing any game, dude, and it's not kind of even, like it's you and it's some against some, let's just play a different game. Like you could let everybody else play, but I'm just, I'm using that as an example. Like I said, I'm not, and my neighbors listen to this, so I'm not trying to call any, it's not that. Like, I want to be clear. I probably need to talk to them before they hear this, but I'm just being real. Like, I, I don't know what conversation to have with my son. Like he's living in a world now where he's enjoying it outside. He doesn't see what we see. He doesn't know this exists, but to be real, e like my son got a, a little a little anger on him. Like he get upset quick, bro. Where is this leading for him? Ten years from now, like one little interaction for him could be the end of the world for him and the that, end of the world for me. Yeah. Especially at the school that CJ talking about, with the superintendent at Grand Ledge talking about, if you do something wrong, that's why. So your son do something wrong, then you know what I'm saying like I said, I've been there, done that. With my kids at the Grand Ledge High School, I don't play. You know, my daughter went to Hayes. Went to Grand... I ain't play. I was at that school all the time letting them know. Like, don't, don't play with my kids. Like, don't try to, you know what I'm saying? Don't try to single my kids out and don't, and don't think they're going to come to a culture where they're going to get bullied. They come here to get an education, just like every other kid. And they're not going to get bullied. They're not, you're not going to disrespect them, right? You're going to educate them. You feel me? Because why? Because I knew my kids was going to Michigan State. Why? Because that's... The neighborhood that we live in. Right. And they had the greatest experience. My son was a manager for Michigan State basketball. Coach Izzo called me yesterday. Coach called me yesterday like, yo, E, this is crazy. Let's sit down and talk. You know, uh, I need you to help me. How can I help you? 
So I think that's that's where it's at, Carl. I want to show something real quick, though, Carl, because I want to give some direction because there have been people on both sides. There have been young uh, African-Americans that I rock with, uh, celebrities. You know, I'm talking about young kids, not, you know, your CP3s, your LeBron James, your Car Carmelo Anthony. You know, these dudes that know how to take care of themselves. I'm talking about, you know, young kids who have stepped into celebrity but they still young and they're like, E, how do, what do we do? You know? Uh, and then I've had, like I said, uh, white friends, give me the first one, where you stand. Okay. I think that's the most important one, Carl. And, and it's the first question um, you guys have to ask yourself, right? So I'm just going to walk you through strategy, right? On how do we get through this? You know? So the first, first thing we have to, you have to ask yourself is where do you stand? We're no longer in a place where you could play the middle anymore, right? So, so you gotta take a stand. You know, um, I'm either for or against. Like you gotta take a stand. And I'm I'm not tripping on what people decide to do. This has been a reality for me for a long time, Ma. <laughs> I've already put both of my feet down. You know, on solid ground. Like I said, 381 days. Make that commitment. So the first thing you gotta do is you gotta ask yourself, where do you stand? Do you stand with racism? Or do you stand against racism, right? And, and now we're at a point where we have to be vocal. Like, we got to take action. Like, we have to say something. I was just having a conversation, uh, Carl, with uh, some folks at the church. And something happened, and nobody said anything. But my wife had to get up and say, uh-uh, it's not going down like that. This is, a, this is a great community, and no outsiders are going to come in and destroy what we have. It's not going to happen. But I was kind of hurt, Carl, because I'm like, yo, why I got to go all the way up to the top? There are those of you who are on, and I get it. I know what you're trying to do. You want to keep peace. But some, at some point, when peace is not a strategy, you can't use it, right? You, there, there's a time you could be peaceful. But there's a time, even biblically, where they marched around in the walls. <laughs> it was war. So you got to make up in your mind Am I going to, because if I'm not saying anything, I'm saying something. Mm -hmm. For real. I'm going to be no honest question. with you. The, 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 the scariest human on the planet is the person that does not speak up for anything. Right? The Bible says, God, whether you be cold or hot, then for you to be lukewarm. So the lukewarm boy is the, is the worst of them all. So the first strategy as we move forward is you have to take a stand. You see, we put up a video. I'm, I took, I'm taking a stand. I don't want you to, I, listen to me, I don't want you not to know where I stand. And I don't want to not know where you stand. Like, you either in the boat or you're not. Like, you I'm not. You put up a quote about Angela Davis, I believe, that said in, in your message to the, to the nation and on your post, you put, it, it was, you know, quoted from Angela Davis. You said, it's not enough to be non-racist. You got to be anti-racist. Flat out. You, you got to take a stand. So that's number one. Uh, I want to show you some uh, statistics. For those of you who know, you know, I've been heavy, you know, on this assessment, right? And here's what I want you to do. After you make your stance, then you have to ask yourself, how do you want to contribute? You feel me? Like, how do I want to contribute? So you notice that only 12% of the world's population, like, are born leaders, meaning that they're like, hey, I got, I'm going to take ownership of this thing, follow me, right? So for that 12% group, like for real, 
You got to make up in your mind. You know you are a born leader. I'm going to lead. Those are achievers and activators. So we're looking for you. Uh, like CJ made a phone call. Uh, we brought a group together and we talked about, yo, 381days.com. And for 381 days, you can look for us. I think there may be about seven or eight categories that we're going to focus on, right? And so where are my activators? Where are those of you, like, you don't mind being up front. <laughs> like, you don't, you don't mind saying, yo, I'm going to protect the village. I got this boy, right? And then we've got our communicators, right? And our includers. And this is why I say this, because when you don't know your role and your responsibility, what can happen is you're moving without strategy. And I'm telling y'all, Maul said it. If we need to rebuild. If we ever needed strategy before, we need it now. And so you need to know, am I in the red? Am I a born leader? We need you to get out here and help lead. Uh, uh, if you are a communicator, an includer, we need you to rally the troops. We need you to bring the family together. And like me, I'm on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And what am I doing? I'm communicating to the world that look, hope, optimism, right? And then we need that, that, that mediator, right? That, that, as you see that green, right? Those supporters, the media, the team players that's saying, I got people calling me, AET. Like, yo, if you guys um, protest, if you guys are raising funds, if you guys, I want to help build a website. You know what I'm saying? I want to help pass out the flyers. I want to stand with you. Like I just, so if you're out there and, and that's who you are, I need you to support. And finally, uh, man, we had a squad on the call the other day and we just went around and the strategist was taking notes. The strategists were putting together um, the points. The strategists were saying, we need these people. We need, they were, they were putting, they were organizing, right? And putting a system and a structure to this thing. So I need you, I need you, right? To take a stand. And then I need you to say, yo, I want to play a part, but I don't need you health to skeptic. Like, I don't need you all over the place. Like I don't, I, we, if we ever needed order before, if we ever needed a focus before, like if we ever needed to be on one accord before, Right now, and I'm not saying that we're the only ones in this movement. There are others that we will connect with. There are others that we will share resources. But I'm telling you, you have to decide what's my role, who am I rocking with. I told you, row the boat. We're looking for those of you. Grab those oars. Grab those paddles and get in the boat with us. The next one, I want to show you, guys, I want to show you in this next slide, I want to show you what it looks like. Right. And what it needs to look like in order for us to be successful. All right. We got to work. We gotta, I want to show you what it looks like when all four work together. This is what it needs to look like. We need we we need to operate on one accord with more one mission, one movement. All right. This is critical. All right. So watch this. And I want you to see yourself leader, communicator, supporter strategist, all right? I want you to see yourself in this role. This is what we need right now. Everybody playing their role. Everybody playing their position. We need to be on one accord. We don't, we don't need to deviate. 
We don't need to deviate from the plan. Everybody knows their role. Everybody knows their responsibility. Hmm. Mission accomplished. This wow. is what we need. And so hmm. we, we are 381 days. Hey, they put the bird at the end because he could jump the highest. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. The bird, I'm just saying, you got to know your role. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> got to know your role, guys. Yeah, that's and beautiful. And so, Maul, again, my 381days.com. All right, I want you to go to that website. Yep. Um, everybody's been calling. E, where you at? What you going? I'm telling y'all. We, I'm going to told you before, I'm, I'm a sniper. We not just, Jamal's point, we're not, we not here to destroy. We're not here to be destructive. Like, we, we, like, we're not trying to build with one hand and tear down with the other one. Listen to what I'm telling you. We're not trying to build with one hand and tear down. We Sniper, why? We want to have our strategies in place. Then we want our leaders to step up and say, we're going this way. And then I want to be able to communicate that message, bring everybody together, and then get our supporters to support, all right, to help us in this this 381 day MBI mission. I'm telling y'all, I'm telling y'all, if more man, we're going to look at this day 10 years from now, 20 years from now, just like they looked at Martin Luther King's days, at the, like they looked at a hair touch. We are in the midst of a movement. Like the things are being agitated mm-hmm. and aggravated. And I'm telling you, they're not being aggravated and agitated uh, uh, just because more. And if we would just stay together, and find our role and find our responsibility and press. If we would press for 381 days, I'm telling you, Ma, there's, yeah, I hate um, that that destruction had to happen. But I'm telling you, Ma, I am telling you, I've been around for a minute. I have never seen, I've never seen this type of unity. I've never seen people on one accord like this. And I've never seen it for this. And even though we're only seven, eight days into it, this is the first time, Ma, I didn't see it die down immediately. Mm-hmm. People are understanding mm-hmm. that right now is not the time for interest. Now is not the time for commitment. Now is the time for us to be fully committed, fully engaged, fully involved. So I'm looking for you to sacrifice your time, to sacrifice your money, to sacrifice your talent. Listen to me. I'm looking for you to study. I'm looking for us to get on one accord. Because once we get on one accord, I'm telling you, there's no enemy we cannot defeat. So, Mo, I'm being honest. While I am hurt, while this is devastating, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm telling you, had this not happened, Ma, things would be just as they always have been. But with the pandemic, with social media, with the, with the hate, with the, the destruction, I'm telling you, Maul, all this stuff happening is timing. All this stuff happened. All this stuff happened all around the exact same time. And so I'm telling y'all, if we would just press toward the mark, not give up, not give in. If we would press toward the mark, I'm telling y'all, keep pressing. Man, we're going to break this thing. So do not give up. Do not give in. But do me a favor. Make your stand. Today, decide, I am going to be a part of this cause. And I'm going to do my part, whatever, however big that is, however small that is, I'm going to do my part. You know what I think about, Maul, when I was a, a young man in, uh, in middle school and we would play tug of war, Maul. We would play mm-hmm. tug of war, Maul, and we're going back and forth and back and forth. And I mean, we're equal in terms of size. We might be equal in terms of weight 
on both sides. You got some strong people on this side, some strong people on that side. And I'm telling you, Ma, I was on a lot of winning teams, not because we were the strongest, but our will, Ma. When we were getting pulled, we kept saying, don't, Ma, I'm talking about our flag would be right there on the line, Ma. Mm. <laughs> our flag would be right there, Ma. And we like, pull, pull, pull. Don't get tired. Don't give up. You see one of your homeboys, Ma, because it's getting close. He look like he about to give up, give in, Ma. He getting tired. And we would just say collectively, look, don't just pull. Everybody pull together. together. One, two, three. And Ma, we would pull together. We would all pull together. And when we would pull together, Ma, you'd see that flag starting to come on this side a little bit more. And then coming on this side a little bit more. I'm telling you, Ma, I'm seeing it, Ma. You got blacks pulling and whites pulling. You got Asians pulling, Hispanics pulling. Ma, you got uh, Asian Pacifics pulling. Mm. Ma, I'm seeing it. You got young pulling, Ma. You got old pulling. You got young. Middle I'm, I'm seeing you got people from all sides are pulling. And this is not a political event or effort. This is human. And you have humans pulling together. And I'm telling you, you can go far, you can go fast alone. You can go fast alone, but you can go far together. And I'm seeing people put their differences aside because they know this was absolutely evil. This is evil. And the evil that has been going on for so long, people are tired, Ma. Not just African Americans. People are tired and enough is enough so join us in the fight y'all join us in the fight stand for this cause and help us man help us guys get that flag on the right side of humanity and get it off the wrong side of humanity man i love you guys man yeah love you too bro yeah hold on y'all been in uh, it for a long time y'all <laughs> Keep hope alive. Hey, me, something else me. I'm seeing too, E. Something else I'm seeing is that for years we were sitting back and as a as not not just blacks, but just as a community, just as people, period, been sitting back and allowing the police to do what I said as far as serve and protect. I'm now starting to see communities serving and protecting. I'm seeing us serving and protecting our own communities, serving and protecting our own individuals. You know, people yeah. wasn't out yeah, there videotaping us. The yep. Yeah, so I'm yep. seeing us, Carl, man, so. Show the picture. Yep, they doing that. I got you, Ma. Yep, we'll yep. show the pic. Yep, show the pic of them serving and protecting their own community. Absolutely right. And that's what's needed. Absolutely right. That's what's needed. Changes um, from within. It's coming, y'all. Stay, keep hope alive. Hey, cry if you will. Rest if you must. But mm. don't you quit. quit. Rest if you must. Mm. Get emotional. Y'all yeah. know I'm a... I'm a flight attendant. I'm all about emotions, mm. baby. Get them out. But I'm going to tell you something. We going remember what I said before. You already in pain. Let's get a reward for it. We already in pain, y'all. Let's get a reward for it. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, again, I'm ready to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, I, I feel while, while I'm sad, I feel like my, my spirit is renewed. Um, I feel like maybe all of us, you know, even though, and we Absolutely. and we do this work regularly, and yeah. I feel like I got comfortable, you know, yeah. and and shame yeah. on me for that. But I'm ready to dig my feet back in. Um, again, we we started. It's so funny. I was laughing. E and you know, E always seems to be on the right side of things. 
you know, just because of his character and his relationship with God. And I was telling Toby, called me yesterday and was talking about how powerful E's video was. And I said, man, think about this. I said, E retired from corporate a month before the COVID hit or a couple months before COVID hit. And now before this hit and said that it was time to focus on the school system and our people and our community. And I'm like, wow, E, you know, your timing, you know what I mean? Like, it, it couldn't have been more perfect and more needed. It refocused us even before this happened to yeah. say, yo, school days, the stuff that we're doing, we got summer school going for the kids right now. Right now. Right, right this now. second. Um, before we knew what was going to happen. Listen, um, if you if you want to help, um, I, I'm, we're not doing no ads today, no, no sponsors. Um, school days, go to school days. Um, I know people always wondering, oh, well, how can I, you know, donate money and people using uh, their funds to go, you know, to crazy places. Um, one thing I, that you can be assured of uh, is that if you want to contribute financially and it does take money, don't get it twisted. Um, e, I don't know if you, uh, uh, we have a church, a ministry side that does incredible work in the community, which by the way, E has never taken a check from the church. So this is not the rich getting richer and E lining his pockets with a $500,000 a year stipend for being the pastor. He's never taken a check. I don't take a check from the church. Like this is ministry work. Um, And I know many people go, man, you know, you hear about scams and people sending their money to the wrong places. Two places I know for sure. And I know you listen to us and you trust us. If you want the money to go to a good cause, school day, what, can you give me the website on the school days? Where can they go for school days? Schooldays.com. Schooldays.com. Schooldays.com or apocministries.org, correct? Yeah. Yep. Apoc Ministries, A-P-O-C, and we'll put it on the screen, A-P-O-C Ministries.org. And I promise you. <laughs> hey, I'm lying um, to you. I'm so all caught up in schooldayswithet.com. I just had to check day, it real yeah, quick. Right. My bad. Yeah, just put it up. Put it up. Yeah. Hey, schooldayswithet.com. I do want to say this, Maul. If you see a glimpse of hope, if you see me smiling, it's because for so many years, Maul, I tried to do the right thing, but it wasn't popular. You know what I'm saying? But now mm-hmm. that COVID-19 is hit, the pandemic is hit. Like the stuff that people was once focused on, they're not focusing on that right now. Absolutely. And the stuff that I've been on, they own now, right? Listen to me, Ma. This is why if you see a glimpse of hope, it's because for so long, there's only been a few of us pulling that rope, trying to get that flag on the right side. And there's been a whole lot of other people on the other side trying to pull us and stop us from getting that flag on our side. It's been a whole lot. We've had way more against us than were with us, Maul. But you see a glimpse of hope this week because I told you, I got GMs calling me from basketball teams. I got coaches calling me. I've got NBA, D1 coaches calling me. I got people in corporate who calling me and helping me. I'm so excited, Maul, because it's only been a few of us pulling, and now I see Hundreds of people coming now, Maul. I see hundreds of people coming and grabbing the rope with us, getting in the spaces and helping us pull now, Maul. And that's why I'm so encouraged. So somebody say, E, how can you be encouraged and all this? I see way more people now fighting the good fight of faith with us, Maul. And those numbers are getting even on our side. 
<laughs> and once those numbers get even on our side, Maul, we was already killing the game with a few. The, 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 the harvest is plentiful. Hmm. The laborers are few. The laborers are coming now. They coming now, Maul. They calling me. They support. They coming now. And so I'm excited because a lot of people who should have been fighting with us in our communities that was doing other things, preoccupied with all kind of stuff, now they getting to see just because you in this industry or that industry and you making money, it don't, <laughs> it's not what you think. And so now we all pulling. Some of us, you know, pulling politics. Some of us pulling education. Some of us personal development. Some of us in finance. But we are all now pulling in one direction and we're getting more help than we've ever had before. So if you see any encouragement, that's why your boy is encouraged because we was doing this with little or no resources. Now, now, now the troops are coming. Now the troops are coming. Now our crew is coming and we're about to take this thing to a whole new level. We're going to win this race. We're not going to lose this war, bro. We are not going to let evil win. I promise you that. As long as there's breath in my nostrils and my spirit is on this earth, bro, I promise you, the video's going out. People seeing what I'm doing. As long as that positivity is, is, is out, Man, we will win this race, bro. We are not going to quit. We're not going to surrender. We have come too far, and we're closer than we've ever been before. Bro, we're going to win this race, bro, and that's why I'm excited. Hey, E, can I read so, something real quick when you said don't, please. You talking about don't quit, bro? This yeah. is something that got me through college, man. I just want to read this, and I want everybody yeah, to read that. To it. it probably was the same thing that got me through, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it took that. a little more for you than the poem. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this one is, is, and it's actually called E, Don't Quit. When things go yeah. wrong as they sometimes will, yeah. when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure comes about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit is when things seem worse that you must not quit. Hey, Let's man. go. I love y'all, man. Go. I'll uh, thank, thank you uh, for listening. Listen, man, if this impacted you, if you thought this was powerful, man, share it with somebody. Um, you know, we, we will get through this. Uh, I thought it was important today for y'all to just see, you know, raw emotion, for y'all to see uh, the conversations that we have in the group text come to life, the conversations that we have. Maul and I sat up on the phone last night um, on FaceTime, and I just was like, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could tell it was eating them up, and it was eating me up. And we just kind of looked at each other on FaceTime, just like, yo, I love you. And those I love you's been hitting a little harder these last few days. Yeah, just a little days. harder, for yeah, sure. Yeah. They coming over uh, to the flight attendant side. They coming Ma, over. Ma, Ma saying it. Ma saying it without hesitation now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, hey, E, I'm the one back in the day. Remember I told you, I used to look like, hey, dog, that you love me. What you talking about? You know, now come I'm on, the one. Come on over to my place. Uh, I'm the one like, see, 
I don't even call him on the phone no more. I'm FaceTime. <laughs> FaceTime. I, FaceTime, I, I love brother. Be safe out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, again, man, this is, uh, uh, it's necessary. You know what I mean? It's necessary. And while, you know, man, we, uh, we pride ourselves on being an outlet, you know, and a distraction sometimes from stupid stuff, this right. is, a, again, this is a humanitarian issue. And, um, you know, this episode and, uh, is absolutely necessary, you know, to hear from all of us and, you know, just get that raw emotion. And uh, hopefully y'all felt that. So share it with somebody if you enjoyed it. Um, we will be uh, back next week and, um, you know, we'll be working. In the meantime, we're going to work while we wait, as he said in the, in the sermon. We're going to work while we wait. Um, and we're going to believe that, you know, the, the change is coming. So love you guys and uh, we'll see you next week.